Um, now, if you'd stand to your feet in reverence to the reading of God's word, Second Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 through 12. Here's what the word of God says. Or did I commit a sin, Paul says, in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I proclaim the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to minister to you when I was present with you and was in need. I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept and will keep myself from being a burden to you. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be found just as we are in the matter with which they are boasting. Let's ask God's hand over our time. Thank you for your word. This is the most precious thing we have in our hands. Thank you for your word that this is directly how we most understand the work of the Holy Spirit is the word um, and the Holy Spirit shines forth the word. What what are you what are you telling us? You would tell us in principle precept the precepts uh, the principles of Scripture sometimes direct precepts. Thank you for your word. May today be a day that um, we are drawn to greater humility and greater trust and dependence on the work of your Son. Um, let this message increase our appreciation of the first advent. And God's people said, "Amen." <clears throat> So a couple years ago, um, there's a friend that I, the friend that I had met here in Collierville, made really good friends with, and this particular friend was a professional, um, had you know making really great money. The whole family was a family of professionals, um, but this person worked behind a computer screen. Anybody know what that's like, right? And uh, but this person worked around a computer screen so much that all this person wanted to do was work with their hands on the weekend. So this person had all manner of landscaping kind of stuff, all manner of kind of woodworking. This person, you know, instead of hiring a plumber, would rather try to do the plumbing themselves. Instead of hiring an electrician, rather do that kind of work. They just wanted to do something with their hands because they were on a computer screen all week. Amen or oh me, all right? Is that some people right? Well, this particular friend's family uh, from overseas came in town and saw that he was doing something that 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 more the blue collar does right he was mowing and mowing the lawn and doing all the kind of stuff that more the service industry does and the family was so offended they told this friend of mine they said you ought not be cutting the grass or repairing things around the house you're a professional that's someone who is below you to do right that's that's not what you should do get rid of everything hire that out because you are a professional, be be dig be have some dignity to yourself, right? Now that may seem like that is crazy. Why would anybody ever tell them, "Hey, that friend did exactly what the family pressured him to do. He got rid of everything and just hired out." Now, some of you may be thinking that didn't sound too bad, right? I mean, like I don't know, 
I'm tired of mowing my lawn, right? But, um, but here's what you find. That family had an expectation of what a professional looked like. And they thought that it was against all protocol from the, the, the from the country that this, this man had come from. This was not what a professional had done. This would, it seemed like a disrespectful thing to do. So they were bringing the values of that foreign culture over here and, and it, it wasn't their expectations. Now why would I tell you this story? Because when we come to our text here today, Paul, a professional speaker, would not receive money for his professional speaking to the Corinthians. And for them, that was a thing of utmost disrespect. That was not only that, it was a sign that you weren't legitimate. Paul, when he was with the Corinthians, would not take a dime when he was doing ministry to them directly. Now, he did receive support from them when he was doing mission work away from them or would collect an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But when he was doing ministry for that year and a half, anytime in the future he would be with them, he would not take money directly, although he could rightfully, he wouldn't receive their support of him for doing ministry directly. Now, for them, that was a thing of of confusion, of if you're legitimate, why would you not do that? Because ever because back then, if you were a professional speaker or orator or philosopher, that was how you made your living and you were happy to receive it. The Corinthians were wealthy people, wealthy people. But Paul, for the most wealthy people that he probably ever planted churches among, in the region of Achaia, one of the most wealthiest places right there during the ancient times, Paul said, I don't want to die from you. In fact, while I'm with you, I am going to tent make, right? I'm going to work on the side. And in fact, Paul worked so hard at giving them the gospel and planting the church that he oftentimes didn't do his tent making. And at times doing ministry to them, he suffered poverty. And yet during that, all these wealthy Achaeans, these Corinthians were saying, like, you won't take our money, but yet you're, you can barely survive. Because Paul was one of the focus on giving them the gospel. He knew that he was there for such a limited time. It, it didn't equal up to them. It gave them opportunity to make great accusation. It gave the false teachers who rolled in and said, hey, behind Paul and said, hey, if Paul was legit, he'd take your money. In fact, I'm more than happy to take your money. It gave them accusation against Paul and his ministry. Paul comes in our text today and needs to make a defense for that. A defense for his ministry. Now, it's a sad day when someone has to make a defense for their ministry. But man, I have to tell you, in all my years, I don't know of any pastor that had to defend himself for not taking a paycheck, right? So it's kind of different and weird. But there is a thing that we see here. I've now been in ministry um, since uh, since 1997 is when I started working in full-time ministry, started doing pastoral ministry. Um, and I will tell you, one of the hardest things you'll ever do as a pastor is try to make a defense for while you're do why you do what you do. Sometimes there's some humility in that. Sometimes I'm telling you, sheep bite. I mean, honestly, sometimes God's people are overly critical in times that they shouldn't be critical. There's a and sometimes you have to battle with that when you're in ministry of how much do I defend myself? How much of that is actually my pride and my own sin and exalting myself? And how much of that do I actually need to defend for the good of my people? Because I, if I let them think things that are maybe off too much, it might be bad for their soul. Are y'all hanging with me on this idea? Paul in our text today is in that unique spot where he has to make a defense of his apostolic ministry for the glory of God and their good. 
And he has to defend while he's not taking their money once again when he was doing ministry directly to them. And in the end, we'll see in the text, I believe, there was a greater reason that he wasn't doing that. But he has to defend. If you're looking for a title, Paul has to defend his ministry. So over the last couple of weeks, if you're kind of, Paul had already talked about the pastoral voice of concern that he had for them in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. Then last week we talked about Paul had the pastoral voice of authority, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 7 through 18. And today there's the pastoral voice of defense. He has to defend his ministry for the glory of God and their good in verses 7 through 12. Side note, I just want to say this for the good of, for, for, for our good. Please rescue, can we please rescue ourselves from the idea that the body of Christ exists for our own pleasure, that, that any church that we're a part of exists to, um, to kind of give us this idea of if a church doesn't have what I want, then I need to find a church that has what I want, right? This consumerism mentality, right? I'm telling you, just please, if you can even just hear this. If I have one gripe about churches in America, it's consumerism, right? Consumerism. It's eating us alive. I want to give you a warning. Right now, there are more churches without pastors than ever before. Less people entering the ministry than ever before. The average church that, that when a pastor vacates, the average church will go two to three years before they actually can find a pastor they can agree on. And most of the time, those churches will cease to exist in that time or they will so, um, they will so deteriorate that it's hard to have a level of sustainability. It is epidemic going on right now. Why am I telling you all that? To tell you this. God's people have got to stop being consumers, right? And we have got to be in a position where we're giving our heart and hand to the local church. God's agenda is for the local church to be the gospel central station. And and this is what I love about our church. What I'm praying for 2024. I'm not I'm not discouraged with um with some difficult decisions us elders have to make. I'm I, I'm I see some potential, some opportunities that there's ways I think that. Some people who've been at CBC, I mean, since the time I got here, you're just a backbone, right? You have given your hand and heart to this place. There's some, I mean, I'm telling you, there's some backbones here that have given their heart and hand to this place. But I think there's a lot of us that haven't got to that point yet of giving our heart and our hand. 2024, if God's going to sustain this ministry by his grace, it's going to be the heart and hand of God's people together. I want to challenge you to start praying and asking God. You're going to hear opportunities to give yourself fully. Now, as we're looking at this text, I want to point out a couple things to you in verse 7. As he's making a defense for his ministry, a defense for not taking a paycheck. Man, I I can barely say that phrase without just wanting to sneer and laugh in my soul that this is why he gets in trouble, right? The the one thing with them. It's so, so funny to me. If you're taking notes and you want to outline, here's the first thing, verse 7. In Paul's defense of his ministry, he defends financial humility. He defends financial humility in verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says this. By the way, hopefully you can catch the sarcasm and the kind of hyperbole behind this statement. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I proclaim the gospel of God to you without charge. You see the question? 
Uh, it, I almost feel like I'm reading a Babylon B um, kind of article or something right here, right? If, if you don't know what Babylon B, uh, man, what a treasure trove of funny you are missing, right? Go subscribe to it. It's satirical news. Uh, it's funny. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself? Let me ask you. Is humbling oneself a sin at all? No. When you humble yourself, it's not about you. It's about the glory. Did I just hear a no right here? Man. Say, can you say amen? She's like, uh. She's like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut now, right? (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) From the mouth of babes right there, right? What great discipleship you're doing in your home, right? You already got her in the amen corner. (laughs) Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? So that you might be exalted. In the end, the reason Paul's not taking this money, it, it has more to do with than him. It's for their good. Paul decided to put his needs on the back burner and to work for a good reason for their good. He was doing it so that it was for their benefit. Now, you might be wondering, what, what was the benefit? Well, I, I don't want to tell you to the end because you might leave, right? So I just want to hold that off. But there was a benefit for him doing that for them. So he says, I'm doing this. It's actually to exalt you. It's actually for your good. Because I want to proclaim the gospel of God to you without charge. I don't want to take your money. There's a good reason why I don't want to do that. So he defends his, the way he's doing this, he defends his financial humility. Let me just talk about the idea of humility. Humility. One of the, the greatest character attributes that you can have. This is that, that Jesus was humble, and this is an attribute that God wants all of us to have is humility, right? Even take the Christmas season, the Advent. I mean, Jesus came to us not as some conquering king. He comes to us in a humble way, in, a, in an unorthodox way, in the most humble of circumstances, comes to a poor family, comes in the most humble and lowly of ways, comes as a babe in a manger, right? Do you, do you understand this? This is this is extraordinary. This is the kind of God that we serve, a, a God that practices humility in his own incarnation. What is humility? Humility is when everything is about the glory of God and the good of others, and you're not self, you're, it's not about your own self-inflation. It's not about you being of first importance. Everything in our society actually promotes this idea of self-importance. Everything is about self-esteem, self-worth, self-exaltation. Paul says, no. Did I sin by humbling myself? It's a, it's a question he's asking is in more of a sarcastic way. No, he didn't. This was a reason he did this was for the glory of God and their good in the end. It's the principle of humility. The greatest text that you ever discover in humility would be Philippians chapter 2. If you ever could memorize a portion of scripture, I would tell you, memorize Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is this idea that we don't look on our needs, but the needs of others, right? What a great time Christmas season is to not look about our own needs, but the needs of others. Christmas becomes a bad thing when it really becomes about what we want. Jesus says that whoever exalts himself will be humble, but whoever humbles himself will be what? Exalted. How do we, where do we see humility? We see it in the life of Christ and the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Where do we see exaltation? That Jesus rose from the dead and God has now given him a name that is above all names. God exalts humility, but he brings low those who make much of themselves. Paul is telling them, I humbled myself for 
the glory of God so that I could proclaim the gospel free of charge to you so the end you could be exalted. Now, what is this exaltation? Well, let's hold on to the very end of the message. But if you were to look up Philippians 2 and you were to notice verse 5 of Philippians, it says that have this mind in you, this humble mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning, what is normal? Normal is humility. Normal is denying self. You know, most of our thoughts between our ears that we have most of our most of our week is this idea of what people haven't done for us. It really is. That's that's what we think, or who hasn't done us right, or what have we not received. Instead, and, and what happens is God does it, God judges that, God disciplines that. That is it not that doesn't make for a good time. But actually in your own soul, when you start to think, wait a minute, for the glory of God and good of others, that's why I'm doing everything. So I'm going to serve my children this week. I'm going to serve in my workplace. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to serve my spouse for the glory of God and their good. I'm not in this to get something from them. I'm in this to give something to them. And what that says is God is now glorified and it's for the good of others. And that's how like a blessed life actually looks. Paul, that's what he's doing in this text. And it boggles their mind. They can't understand it, but there's a bigger reason. So he first defends his financial humility by not charging them, not taking money from them as he's doing ministry to probably the people who were the most able and willing. This leads me to my second point. He defends his financial missionary practice. Look in verse 8 and 9. He says this, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to minister to you. Wow. Why would God, why would there be the word robbed? That's a pretty strong word, robbed. When you think robbed, you don't think of someone gave you resources willingly. Don't you kind of think of it as forcefully? When I read this verse, I almost have this picture of like Paul being the cat burglar, right? With like the, you know, the the, the kind of black mask and, you know, he's just over here, you know, like taking money from other churches and from other people to do ministry to these people. But the reason he uses this word robbed, this such strong language, is because some of the ministry he was doing to them the wealthy region of Achaia, where the Corinthian church was and other churches, they were extremely wealthy. When he did receive support, he received support from actually a poorer region, Macedonia. The Macedonian churches of Philippi and Berea, he would receive support, and they were actually poor. They were poor. And so he's basically his reason for saying this is, it's like I'm robbing. It's like I'm robbing them because I'm. they can't afford it. You can I'm letting them supply my needs so I can focus on less tent making and I can focus more on doing ministry to you. It's like I'm robbing them to do ministry to you. And all the while, these Corinthians are just like, well, then take the money. But he has a practice. And Paul's practice is that when he's, for the most part, his practice is when he's doing missionary work to you, among you, he doesn't want to charge you for the gospel because if he charges you for the gospel, you may not understand that the gospel is not something you pay for. It's not something you work for. It's something that's accomplished through the merits of Jesus Christ, right? You understand this? So his missionary practice was he would not often receive money. It's kind of like this right now. The missionaries that we support, when they go do missions to people and they're planting, typically they're not trying to gather their livelihood from those people. They gather their livelihood from mission support and That's how Paul tried to operate. He either tried to operate by when he was doing direct ministry, planting new churches. He tried to receive his support from his tent making work or 
from, from someone else he planted, resources coming from the outside. We can see, we can see when we read first and second Corinthians that there was, there was some indication that when he was away from them that they would send some support to support him like a missionary. But when he was doing direct ministry, his financial ministry practice was not to receive from you, but to give to you. Look in verse nine. He says, when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brothers came from Macedonia, they filled, they fully supplied my need and everything I kept and will keep myself from being a burden to you. Here's what's noted. Look at verse 9 closely. When I was present with you and in, what did he say? They, he had needs. If you read Acts 18, look at Acts 18, 1 through 5 sometime, and you'll notice in Acts 18, 1 through 5, that Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia with some supplies and that they're actually supplying his need. He had actually done so much ministry to them that he put off some of his tent making ministry. Basically, he kind of put himself in an impoverished situation so he could keep doing ministry, all the while not willing to take resources from these wealthy Corinthians and then waiting for these poor, these more poor saints from Macedonia Timothy and Silas to come in with an offering that would help them just focus on gospel ministry and supply his need. And so he says, when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. I didn't take any of your money. When the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. He's referring back to what you can read in Acts chapter 18, 1 through 5. He says, in everything I kept and will keep myself from being a burden to you. Doesn't this boggle your mind? These people had all these resources and he wouldn't take it in the moment. So he defends his financial humility. He defends his financial ministry practice. Now, here's point number three. Look at verse 11 and 12. He defends the continuation of this financial practice. It's not like he comes in the text and goes, okay, bad idea, guys. On second thought, I probably should have taken your money and not put myself in such an impoverished situation to do gospel ministry. I should have just taken their money. Nope, doesn't do that. Look what he does in verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, saying, he's saying the truth of Christ in me. Look in verse 10. He defends it, what he's been doing. As the truth of Christ in me, he says, as true as I'm an apostle of Jesus, as true as Jesus met me on the Damascus road, as true as this is, this boasting of mine will not be, what does it say? Stopped in the regions of Achaia. That's where the Corinthian church, other churches were, this wealthy region of Achaia. He says, not going to stop it. I know that. I know that this has caused great issues for you. This has caused a great distrust. It's caused you to also listen to the false narrative of these false apostles. I'm not going to change. This isn't going to stop. There's a reason for this. So he says, as the truth is in Christ, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. When he comes again, when he makes another visit, he's not going to be taking resources from them for ministry he's doing directly to them. Now, is it wrong for someone doing ministry to receive financial support from the people he's ministering to? Absolutely not. I've been here 11 years and I've cashed a lot of checks, right? I'm not saying that's wrong. But also I'm saying it, it. sometimes it may come to that. Sometimes that may be needed. But it's not wrong intrinsically. He says in verse 11, Why? Because I do not love you. They had had this false accusation of because you didn't take our money, you don't love us. Now, you may be thinking, this is crazy, Nick. This is even a real situation. Well, I just want to tell you something. We are vulnerable people. I'm going to say this again. We are 
vulnerable people. If you agree, say amen. amen. We think the dumbest thoughts. We hear, we hear things each day and our minds will just run to places. And these people, this is so crazy. These people got convinced that because Paul didn't take their wealthy money, their money, that, that he didn't love them. And they got convinced of this. And the, these false apostles convinced them of this false idea. So much so that Paul comes in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because I do not love you, you think that's the reason I didn't do this? You think it's because I have no care for you? you you've taken this in a wrong direction? I just want to point something out. This is why it's so dangerous to who you listen to, who you read, who you let shepherd your soul. You better be careful of your influences. I'll tell you what you can trust. You can't trust the word of God. You can trust the gospel community. But friends, please be cautious with all of your political media intake. Be cautious of the of the spiritual podcasts and resources you read. Not everything that's on the airwaves and not everything that gets in print and not every blog and article is thus saith the Lord. you got to be very careful. We are very vulnerable people. You're even vulnerable to the counsel you receive at work. That's why when you got a problem with somebody, you don't go talk to other people. You talk to that person about the problem. And then if you can't solve it, the scriptures say you find one to two mediators who know the scriptures who can actually come in and help you in that situation. But what we often do is we run to other people that, that, that can just confirm all the doubts and vulnerabilities that we're already believing in our soul. So much so, they do this in the text. They are saying, Paul, you don't love us. Now look what he says at the end. God knows what? I do. And by the way, it's exclamation mark, right? God knows that I do. Paul says, His God is my witness. I do. None of my decision to not take your money has anything to do with me not loving you. It has everything to do with me loving you. Look at verse 12. But what I'm doing, I will, what does he say? <laughs> so he's not going to come off of it. Even though they're saying like, no, if you really love this, you come off this. He's saying, nope, not going to do it. I fear God, not man. I fear God, not man. That's who we fear. Not the opinions and the praise and the applause of man. He fears God more than anything. He says, I'm not going to do it. What I'm doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be found just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. Now, here's the reason he won't do it in verse 12. He says, the reason I won't take your money in the end, it's because I want you to see there's a clear distinction between a true apostle of Christ and the, who, the, the, that person who's a false apostle. There's a difference between the apostle of Christ who comes in and declares that you are saved by grace, through faith alone, none of your works, where these false apostles have been coming in and saying, you are saved by your works. Paul, as he's doing ministry to these people, he understands that these are affluent people. And Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to become in the kingdom of God, because when you do have... Wealth, there's a temptation to rely on that wealth. There's a temptation to think that you can buy your way into Jesus. There's a temptation to think that you are satisfied and you have everything you need. So Paul, knowing these people specifically and uniquely says, the worst thing I could do would be to take your money because then you would think that you had bought your salvation. Then you would think you were worthy of it. You know, sometimes people that have extreme wealth, sometimes in their life, 
they don't live in the, it's sometimes hard for them to live in the world of reality because their wealth sometimes buys so much favor and they're out of step and out of touch. So Paul says, I don't, I don't want you to think that. So what, what I want you to know is there's always a clear distinction between the man that God has called and these false teachers. And what they're teaching you is you're saved by being a good person and you just need to add some stuff. So it's, it's, I'm a good person. I'll earn my way to God. And Paul says, I want to show you something different that you can't earn your way to God. In fact, you so can't earn your way to God and justify that I'm not going to take your money so that you realize that you don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven by how good of a person you are. You enter the kingdom of heaven as someone who is humble, realizing your need for God because you are you are in cosmic rebellion against the God of heaven. You have fallen and disobeyed his commandments and deserve the white hot wrath of God. I will not compromise on this for the glory of God and your good. The gospel is at stake. So why will Paul not take their money? Because he doesn't want to give them any opportunity to not come to Christ. So it was worth it. They He knew that these were people that thought they could buy their way up. They were people who would not come full force and realize their sin. How much so? Do y'all remember when we studied 1 Corinthians a couple years ago? Do y'all remember that? I mean, of course you remember it, right? I mean, like, how could you not, right? Um, it was a long time ago. I think five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, I know. I, I can barely remember yesterday. But if you remember studying that or you've been studying your Bible, I'm really encouraged by 1 Corinthians because as messed up as a church could ever get, I've never been in a church like 1 Corinthians, right? That's some really bad stuff. These were people that were wealthy. And at the same time being wealthy, they had such heinous red flag sin that it would be hard for them to notice their need for grace if they could buy their way into things. So Paul knew like, man, you got to We got to strip that out. I want you to realize you can't pay for what Jesus has done. In fact, you're insufficient to pay. When I became a follower of Jesus at what age? On where? My parents stand couch. Here's one of the things I'm telling you. This is the this is the light bulb moment for me. I'm telling you, this is the light bulb moment. I thought before that moment. Okay, I'm a sinner. But I'm still kind of a good guy. So I deserve this. Like, I deserve this. Like, God, why wouldn't you save me, right? And it was like on that tan couch at 16, light bulb came on. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I can't save myself. I can't. I've got nothing good to offer. I can't ever be more righteous than God. I can't ever trump the righteousness of Christ. I, I can't. I'm insufficient. My sins, just one sin is enough. I'm condemned. There's nothing good in me. I can't save myself. That's where Paul was trying to get them. That's why Paul wouldn't take their money. For the glory of God and their good, he makes a defense for his ministry. As I close out, may my prayer be for us today is is this idea of what a great refresher for us that a true gospel-centered life is a life about humility. When was the last time we asked ourselves, what are we doing for the glory of God and the good of others without any benefit to ourselves? Then the next time I would say this, until you realize your spiritual poverty, you'll never be ready for Christ. And that's where he's trying to get them. They had so much wealth. They, it's hard when you're wealthy to realize your spiritual bankruptcy. You're spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing you can do to earn, deserve your way to God. It is only through the merits of what Christ did. And how, how, how righteous was Christ? So righteous that the wrath of God was satisfied when Jesus offered up his righteous life.
And I pray that you have that, you've trusted in that in a minute. We're going to stand and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. If, if you pray that prayer and you mean it, I mean, let us know that you've come to Christ. Let us help you follow the Lord. And then as we take communion, let's remember this wonderful message. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for us during this time. We'll have a time of, of worship. If you're here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to tell you, if you've never come knowing that you are spiritually bankrupt, you have nothing good to offer God, God is convicting you of your sin. Pray this prayer with me, just in your soul. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your law. I've broken your commandments. I'm in cosmic rebellion. There's nothing good in me. I I can't save myself. I can't cover my own sins. I realize my guilt. You showed it to me. Jesus, I trust that you died for my sins. You satisfied the wrath of God. You offered up your perfect life in my place. I trust you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Transform my life to live for you. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if you've prayed that prayer and you meant it, please let your neighbor know about but when we end this service, let let me know, let one of us elders, let, let someone know so they can take the next step. There's no secret disciples. No secret disciples. Now, church body, let us now sing to the Lord. Let us take the Lord's Supper worthily. Let us confess our sin. Let us confess our sin to anybody that we've sinned against. Let us come with hearts that are ready to remember the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Let us remember the spiritual bankruptcy that we have. And let us now, now remember the riches of Christ that we have in us by his righteous life. Let us take this time to do that as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.